Great stuff, welcome everyone. Uh, it's great to see you in this slightly alternative venue um, that we're in today. Uh, you've got a few different things on your tables. Um, there's some flyers here that will just give you a little bit of an idea about what we're, what we're doing at Gospel in the City, so feel free to take one of those away. Or if there's somebody that you know who might be interested in, in this event, um, do feel free to take a couple of those away with you. You've then got a, a handout, um, which will just give you a couple of points that we're going to look through today. And everything that we're going to be looking at is going to be drawn from, from this other booklet um, with the Ruth title on it. This is uh, very simply the, an English translation of the Old Testament book of Ruth. Um, and we're going to be looking at Ruth over the next few weeks here at Gospel in the City. And today's talk is all about where is God when it hurts? And we're going to be using um, just a few lines from this book of Ruth to begin to uh, get a sense, get, get, begin to get talking about this question. Well, where is God when it hurts? It's, it's a very philosophical question, isn't it, at one level? You could, you could spend hours and hours thinking about the problem of evil and how it could fit in with belief in a God who is sovereign and wise and good. How could evil exists in a world that's created by that kind of God. Very philosophical, very deep question that I don't think we'll, any, we'll ever be able to get the bottom of, to the bottom of. But I'm not going to really address that today. You might be relieved to know. We've only got a short time. And what I want to do uh, this lunchtime in thinking about this question of where is God when it hurts is to begin really where, where the rubber hits the road with, with our lives and the reality of, of suffering as we experience it. Because this is actually a very painful question, isn't it, for, for many of us here today. It's hard to really go through life at all without experiencing some kind of suffering. And some of us here will have, will have experienced a lot more suffering than others. And in some ways, that's part of the issue, isn't it, of suffering. Why do some people experience more suffering than others? So we're not going to talk philosophy today. We're going to talk about the practical, on-the-ground experience of, of where is God when we're hurting. Um, and I'm not going to talk today about my experience of suffering, um, to be honest with you, I've had a relatively low amount of suffering in my life. I'm sure many of you could talk about much more difficult uh, paths that your lives have taken. Um, but I'm not going to talk about my experience. I'm going to talk about the experience of somebody else. And this person is somebody who's uh, here in, the, in this book of Ruth. And her name is Naomi. Or well, literally, her name means pleasant or lovely. And we're going to have a look at her testimony today uh, about her experience of suffering. So let me tell you a little bit about the backstory of, of this woman, Lovely, or Naomi. Uh, Naomi grew up in the promised land of Israel. She was one of God's people in the Old Testament, one of the Jewish people. Um, but famine came and struck the land of Israel. And Naomi uh, and her wife Elimelech, which means my God is king, uh, these two decided that they had to leave the land of Israel to go looking for food elsewhere. And so they went to a neighboring country uh, called Moab. And that's where they lived for a while. But very shortly afterwards, Elimelech died. Um, and, and so Naomi was left with just her two sons, uh, Machlon and Kilian are their names. And Machlon and Kilian both marry Moabite women. But then very shortly after, they too both die. And so Lovely is left all alone, far from home, with just two Moabite daughters-in-law for company. 
And there she is in this land of Moab. But then she gets news that, that God has come to help his people in the promised land. He's come to provide food or bread for them uh, back in Bethlehem, where she's from. And so Naomi decides the best thing she can do with, what's rest of, with the rest of her life is to head back to, uh, to Israel and go and find some food there. And so she begins this journey back to the land of Israel. And along the way, uh, one of the daughters-in-law decides she's better off going back to her, her own people. Um, but one of them, Ruth, who the book of Ruth is named after, sticks with Naomi. She literally, we're told, clings to Naomi. Uh, and Naomi, it's not really very clear whether Naomi really wants Ruth hanging on to her like this. Um, and so Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem. And if you like, Naomi's got this, this, this reminder of her past, of all that sadness, uh, all that desolation in Moab, almost clinging to her as this daughter-in-law comes with her back to her hometown and her home country. And um, that's where I want to pick up the story, just in the uh, little booklets that you've got there. So if you turn to the second page, um, under the heading, Naomi and Ruth Return, uh, we can see uh, exactly what she says. Uh, I'm going to pick it up at that um, verse number 19, there, um, where it says, Naomi and Ruth Return. So it says this, The two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Remember, that means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. Remember, she had two sons and a husband. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me lovely or pleasant? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So that's the testimony that I want us to think about for a few minutes this lunchtime. This testimony of this lady called Lovely. I wonder what you make of it. I think it's, it's very honest, isn't it? It's, it's, it's almost brutally honest. It's almost raw. Don't call me lovely. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Um, the Bible isn't a book full of kind of lovely people floating along and singing happy things about God all the time. There's bitterness and there's pain and there's heartache in the Bible and particularly here in this story of this lady called Lovely. So that's her testimony, but I want to suggest that actually this testimony really shows a deep connection to God, maybe even deeper than, than Lovely realized. Um, and that's what I want us to look at now. I want to make three kind of comments on the basis of this testimony from Lovely. So the first thing I think Lovely is testifying to is actually a sense of the reality of suffering. Suffering is real. She says, this is bitter. My life has been bitter. That's a taste, isn't it? You know, if you, if you, if you make a cup of tea and you get it a bit wrong, then it's going to taste bitter. Now, some people will say, well, what's really going on there, of course, is the chemicals within the tea are activating certain receptor molecules in our tongue, which our brain processes and describes as bitter. So it's just chemistry, those flavors. 
And some people say that actually about, about other experiences in life. They'll say love is uh, basically chemistry. And that's a quote from a current philosopher. Love is basically chemistry. If you can describe the kind of uh, chemicals that are going on when we uh, see somebody that we love, they'll say, well, that's what's going on. It's basically chemistry. And people presumably will say that about suffering too. It's just chemistry, isn't it? When we lose a loved one and we experience anguish and pain and bitterness because of that, well, a lot of people will say, well, sure, that's just chemistry, isn't it? That's just a fact of this, this world, this evolutionary system that we live in, where dog eat dog and calamities and chaos happens. Maybe somebody will die today because a tree falls on top of them. And somebody will say, well, it's not really bitter. It's chemistry. It's just what happens. And I want to suggest that Lovely is actually showing that she's wiser than that. She doesn't obviously have the knowledge of science that we have, but she's, I think she's saying something deeper than that. She is saying, my life really has sucked. It's rubbish. It's been bitter. She's declaring the reality of suffering. And I think she's doing that because she believes in a world where, where things aren't just chemistry, where there is something that gives meaning and purpose to reality, so that when bad things happen, it's not just random, it's not just chemistry, it's bitter. I was speaking to a lady a couple of weeks ago called Amanda. Uh, Amanda has uh, had problems with her, one of her sons. Uh, ever since he was born, he's required all kinds of surgery, and, um, and it's kind of ongoing today, very, very experimental, very difficult surgery. And the, he's had surgery, and things have kind of gone reasonably well, but there's a sense that it's almost a ticking time bomb. When is something else going to go wrong? That constant worry and that stress. And Amanda was very honest with me, and that's not her real name. Um, she was very honest with me, and she said she hasn't actually found any more sense of, of God in her suffering. She said, if anything, her suffering has actually moved her away from God. Not because she's become bitter against God, but just because she sort of says, oh, it just doesn't seem to really be a factor. She's learned to kind of just deal with things by herself. Uh, she's, she's somebody with a sort of scientific background. And so she's saying, well, look, I just think it doesn't really help to think about it in that, those kind of terms. It's just, it's just a fact of life. But I think if I, if I could talk to Amanda again, um, I'd probably want to ask her, would you, would you weep if your son did get ill again? Would you cry if you lost him? How would you feel about that? And of course, like any mother, she'd, she'd be devastated about that. That would be a calamity. But in some ways, I'd want to ask her, well, does that really make sense with how you're viewing the world? Because surely, if you, if you spend any time worrying about your son or weeping for your son after he's gone, that's just going to be a distraction, isn't it, from, from the real world? It's going to be a distraction from getting on with life, making the best of every moment. Why weep for your son on, on this view of the world? Suffering is just a distraction, I think, if you don't believe in God. And, of course, Eastern philosophies go that way, don't they? Buddhism will say that one of the big problems in our world is, yes, it's messy, yes, it's complicated, so don't get tangled up in it. Try and move on from it. Try and rise above it. Try and disentangle yourself from all the suffering so that you can achieve a sort of Zen-like status. But Christianity doesn't say that. Uh, Naomi and the rest of the Bible all says suffering is really bitter. There's a reality to suffering because there's a reality to this world. 
And that's why when the Saviour, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world, we're told that he wept. At the, friend, at the, at the graveside of a friend, Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Because suffering is real. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. So that's the first thing that Naomi's testimony gives us, a sense of the reality of suffering. But there's secondly, I think Naomi's testimony gives us a sense of God's control over suffering. So Naomi says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The Almighty. Do you see what she's saying? Now, Naomi's not saying God kind of causes suffering in the the same way that he causes good things. Um, Suffering is, is an evil, and God never directly causes evil. Uh, we're told. But what Naomi is saying is that we don't live in a kind of a yin and yang kind of universe where good and evil are kind of battling each other. We live in a universe, Naomi believes, where God is the almighty, where he is sovereign over everything, including evil and suffering. And so in some ways this makes it harder for Naomi because she sort of says, well, I know who to blame at, at some level. God has dealt bitterly with me. He has allowed me to suffer. He's allowed this life to be my life. And so she feels bitter about God. She feels angry against God. Why has the Lord dealt like this with me? But I want to suggest, although she's very angry with God, actually that anger does show a deep connection to God, doesn't it? Because she's not like one of these people who just says, oh, sure, it doesn't matter. No, she's angry with God because she believes ultimately... The the problem that she's facing in her life can be laid at his door. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Um, I was uh, hearing from a guy called Josh uh, last week, um, who's from from England, and um, he uh, grew up in a broken home, had a very difficult uh, background, and then went on through all kinds of uh, hair-raising kind of uh, things and difficult situations. And he says that all through his life, he blamed God for those things. He sort of saw God as kind of like a chess player who was just maneuvering Josh's life for his own amusement. He was angry with God. He blamed God for all the bad things. But in some ways, that showed that Josh believed in an almighty God, just like Naomi, all of that time. So maybe you're here this lunchtime and you're, you're secretly pretty angry with God. If, you could, if we could get the microphone under, under you today, you'd want to say, yeah, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. And you're, you're bitter about that, like, like lovely is. Well, that's not fun. That's not great. It's, it's a horrible feeling, and I'm not wanting to trivialize it. But I wonder if actually that shows that you've got more faith than perhaps you might think. That actually you believe in a God who is almighty, who you can blame for your suffering. Well, maybe that helps, maybe it doesn't. I suppose one way it helps is it, it means we, we can at least pray to somebody who's in control, who we can ask for help in our problems. But I want to suggest, lastly, that if you believe in that kind of God, then that actually gives us hope, and hope that maybe Lovely couldn't even see just at this moment. And so this is the final point. Um, her ch- when Lovely's childhood friends gather around her, um, they, they say, is this Naomi, verse 19? And she says to them, Do not call me Naomi. Don't call me lovely. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. It's very clear just how low I think lovely is, isn't it? She's she's so 
caught up in her, in her suffering, when she sees these childhood friends, she says, don't think of me as that girl that left home all those years ago. Don't think about me as that girl that was given the name lovely by my parents because of those great intentions and hopes that they had for me. Because those hopes have all been dashed. She wants to redefine herself now by, by her experience of suffering. She says, call me bitter, because frankly, that's what my life has been. I'm bitter. But interestingly, in this book, the, the narrator of the book absolutely refuses to, to do that. He always calls her lovely. And that's why I've been trying to call her not just Naomi, but lovely from time to time today to help us to, to see that. There's something really wrong about this girl who's been called lovely ex- experiencing all this bitterness and wanting to rename herself bitter. Because that wasn't the intention that was there for her life. And uh, what we'll see as we... Uh, uh, read through this, this, this book of Ruth is that actually Naomi's life is part of a, a bigger story and although she can't see it yet her name is actually a testimony lovely to God's purposes for her God's purposes beyond her suffering God is going to work in her life to bring something through her suffering something new and something much better uh, God has got purposes beyond her suffering she's not going to be called bitter She is going to be called lovely, because that is God's intention for her. And I think there's a general point that we can take from this. God's intentions for our world go far, far, far beyond suffering. God created this world good, and that's his intention for it. It's a good world. It's a lovely world. It's a pleasant world. And God, in the Bible, we're told, works against suffering. He resists it in order to bring something good when Jesus stands beside the grave of his friend Lazarus, he ends up raising Lazarus from the dead because he opposes death and he opposes suffering and he's come to make a better world. But interestingly, that act of raising his friend Lazarus from the dead, we're told in John's Gospel, is actually the reason that Jesus ends up being killed because people think they don't want this kind of a person around. And so Jesus comes to raise the dead, but he knows that that will come only through suffering and death. And so there's a big picture in this world which goes something like this. God creates the world good, suffering comes, and God will work through the suffering to bring about something even better, to bring about his good purposes beyond suffering. So, friends, I don't know what your experience has been like here this lunchtime, what your life has been like, but I want to plead with you, don't feel defined by your suffering. We read all these statistics, don't we, about people in in our country, in our city, who are wanting to kill themselves. And I know I've got a friend who works very closely with that sort of person. And so often it seems like that's what happens, isn't it? Is your life just becomes all about your suffering. It's easy for it to happen. But if that's how you're feeling, or if you're feeling at all like that, I hope this passage will be a little encouragement to you this lunchtime. Don't be defined by your suffering, because God has got good purposes for us beyond it. And let me make an invitation to you just as we close. We're going to spend the next four weeks working through this little Old Testament book of Ruth. We're going to read through what happens to to Naomi and to Ruth, and see how God's good purposes get fulfilled uh, through this, this horrible start and this very difficult beginning. Um, and so if you're at all interested in what we've been looking at today, if, if you think that there might be something here that, 
that offers a different perspective on our ordinary lives, then I hope you might consider coming along and joining us over the next four weeks. Or if you have to miss one, you'll hopefully be able to catch up on, online on the podcast. Um, but why don't you think about trying to come along every, every week and, and following through this journey with us and seeing um, where God's purposes take Naomi, where they take Ruth, and where they will take us. Well, let, that's all I think I want to say at uh, this lunchtime. Uh, let me just close, if I can, with a short prayer. And do feel free to, to echo that if you'd like to uh, as we pray. Our Father, we thank you for this testimony that we heard about this lunchtime uh, from this woman uh, who lived a long, long time ago. Uh, thank you for her testimony to the reality of suffering, but also to the limits of suffering. And our Father, we pray that as we hurt, we too might one day be able to testify that you are at controlling suffering and that you have good purposes that you're doing beyond and even through our suffering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.